Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. We're going to end this series on worship, and we're talking through all different things. And the most obvious thing that people think of when they think of worship is music. And we dealt with that last week. And so if you missed that, the podcast is up. Uh, because that is a part of worship. It is, uh, but what we also acknowledged last week is it's not modern times. We have made that the whole of worship is music. Um, the example that I use because it's a familiar one, and it's one that I've been guilty of myself, is if someone's talking about a specific church or a new church they visit or something. Well, how's their worship? What do I mean? How's their music? Right? Um, and that is not... Worship that is a part of worship, um, but it's not it in entirety. And we have wrapped that entire thing up literally in just notes and pitches and production value. Um, and so we need to read. That's why this series is called Rewired, is we need to rewire our brain to think through the fact that worship incorporates a ton of different stuff. And so this morning, one of those things that we're going to talk about is um, service. What does it look like to serve other people? And how is that a part of worship? And um, so that's where we're going to be this morning. And so I'm just going to read Psalms 103 because Psalms 103 actually incorporates a lot of the different aspects of worship in one thing. And if you read through the Psalms, it generally does that because Psalms don't leave out music, but they don't isolate it to just music, right? Or isolate to just prayer or isolate to just, you know, whatever it may be. And so this is a Psalm of David starting in verse one. He says, praise the Lord, my soul and all my inmost beings, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desire, your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. David's setting up this whole thing of the reasons why we worship. We just read this psalm of David who understood that there was this idea that worship and praise incorporated a lot of things. And we've done some of those as a church. In fact, David acknowledged, here's all the good things that God has done. In fact, I doubt they were actually all. Here's all the ones I can write right now. In fact, David wrote a lot of different psalms, and they all incorporated a lot of the good that God did, and it didn't even come close to touching at all. But he also acknowledged that we are God's servants, and that that is a piece of that worshiping puzzle. That prayer is a piece of that. That music is a piece of that. And all of it kind of joins together in a way in which it really is just all about 
expressing out of our bodies in different ways thanks to God for all that he has done. And some of that is just acknowledging you are God and you have, you deserve this regardless. And some of it is you are God and this is the ways that you've done that. You know, for David, he says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our our iniquities. David, of all people, knew that. He broke a couple of the commandments just right in one story that we can read about with Bathsheba and her husband later on. Like there's a couple of Ten Commandments. There's only ten. And David couldn't, you know, he... But God restored him. He said, God, you don't repay. In fact, God took the son of David and Bathsheba and actually continued David's line on the throne through that son. God didn't repay David out of what he deserved. And so David starts from his heart of, God, you are great. But he, but he moves from there. And so this morning, we're going to talk specifically about what it looks like to serve God and I mean, to, to serve others through God. And so what we're going to acknowledge and we're going to talk about is this idea that we actually, that God was a servant God, right? God served us first. And so since God served us, we are a people who have been served by God, who've been given good things to God, who have been shown the kingdom through the mighty hand of God. And so as a result, then we do the same for other people. And so with that, we're going to flip over to Philippians. We're going to be right at the very end of Philippians 1. And this is a little small letter that Paul wrote to this kind of, you know, flourishing but kind of startup church as an encouragement to them. And so I want to start with verse 27. And he starts out with these words. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I'm just going to stop right there. Philippians 1.27. It's a good one to memorize. If you, uh, if you have like the Version app and it tells you a Bible verse every day, this was actually one of them this week. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the question that we're forced to ask ourselves in that time is, of course, do we live a life that understands the worth of Jesus? We talked about worship starting with this idea of God being worthy, being worth it. We talked about worship, actually, the the word actually meaning uh, worship to apply and to ascribe worth to something. Is Jesus worth it? Is what he did for us worth it? David started out Psalms 103 with this whole idea of God, for all these reasons you are worth it. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we living our lives in a way that makes Jesus worth it? Or that, that shows that we believe that Jesus is worth it? 
And really that boils itself also down to us is, do we believe that Jesus is worth it? And if, and if he is, and if we value Christ in that way, worship kind of expresses itself in a lot of different ways. And so Paul starts this part of the letter out with, whatever happens, church, live your life in a manner worthy of, of the gospel of Christ. And he continues, uh, then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one faith for the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And since you are going through the same struggle that I saw you had and now hear that you still have. Paul's writing these words to this little small church in Philippi. It's not much bigger um, than 20, 30 people. And they are persevering and they are dealing with a lot because they're small. And, not, and different than being a small church in the U.S., especially in the southern U.S., we're a small church in a place where there's lots of churches. So we have a lot of friendly faces around, right? This was a small church in a place where there was no other church. So they were the only ones. Imagine, Mosaic, if we were the only believers in the upstate. And this is what we had. This is who Paul's writing to. And he, his instruction to them for the people to know this was that they live their lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. That shows that they know that it was worth it. We always kind of can tell if things are, at least around our house, if things are worth it by how much they are used. Okay? So, yesterday was Amelia's uh, birthday party. Her birthday was on Thursday. She turned three years old. And um, as families typically do and as grandparents have been known to do, um, at least in my family, is they uh, go a tad bit overboard. And so they buy all this stuff and, you know, here's this kid. She's going to be preoccupied with like one thing, right? And so what is the one thing that's going to really be used? What's the one or two things that are really going to be? We do this at Christmas time. That's one reason Nellie and I, hey, Jude, stop your ears up real quick. Just do like this. Close your ears. It's one reason Nellie and I have chosen not to overdo it. Uh, in fact, we usually get our kids one thing for Christmas, mainly because we know that we'll waste the rest of it, and B, we know that grandparents are going to go overboard, so that's kind of a dual reason. Um, but we also don't like just spend our money on a bunch of stuff, and then, then these collect dust for a year until they eventually go to Goodwill, and this one or two things really kind of enjoy. So we try to figure out, and we want to know our kids as well enough to know, like, what is it that you're really going to get? And sometimes we we bust on that. <laughs> we don't always get it right. You know, sometimes we spend our money on this thing that, but there's a couple of things in our house that, that were worth it. One of them is the trampoline. We bought a trampoline. In fact, we've now bought three trampolines. Uh, Storms took care of the other two. Um, but it wasn't one of those things that's like, oh, we don't use it, so we won't buy it. No, we use it all the time. Uh, Sunday night tonight, we'll have um, eight kids at our house, and there will be eight kids on that trampoline at different times, sometimes all at one time. Um one of them is Jude got a little, he wanted to use his own money, and we figured out some creative solutions to that. 
Uh, so for his birthday, he got a Segway. You've seen these little things, maybe? These kids just kind of lean one way or the other. You see adults on them that are doing this number, but you see the kids on them just kind of zooming all over the place. Uh, it's been used a ton in this amount of time. By all the kids, well, not Amelia, but for Ben and Jude specifically, that was actually worth it. Um, and so you probably have done the same thing. It's like, ah, oh, that was not worth spending the money on. Was it whatever it was? And um, some things you said, man, that surprised me. You got a train. I'm like, what is he getting another plastic train for? This is a waste of money. But he played with it all the time. I'm, I'm talking about as a nine-year-old. I'm not <laughs> talking about as a five-year-old. And so we're like, okay, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was worth it. So that we do that a lot. Our lives can exemplify how much we feel like and agree and acknowledge that Jesus is worth it. And if most of our life tells a different story, then that's the story that is to be told, is that to us, he is or isn't. And so Paul's encouragement to that church is no matter what happens, and and actually he goes on to say some bad things are going to happen. It's not all going to be roses, but Paul says no matter what happens, you live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. It was said differently when it talks about, when Paul talks later about living peacefully. He says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Actually, now I'm kind of thinking that maybe Peter, <laughs> I'm getting him confused in my brain at the moment, but as, but as scripture, nonetheless, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Like what, that's what Paul's saying is as far as you can control whatever happens, live your life in a manner worthy of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul's saying, did you receive anything from Jesus? And whatever it is that you did receive, like if you received anything, then start here, right? Like Paul's saying, did you receive anything? If you received it, like let's remember it. If you have received anything, any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Paul is writing to his church and saying, did you receive anything? That's a way of asking the church, like, did you? Can you remember it? Can you recall it? That's why it's good, and I probably haven't, we probably haven't done it enough. And that's my fault of acknowledging what it is that God has done. If you were here two weeks ago, we actually spent most of that Sunday just talking about, God, what has God done in your life? If you've received anything from Jesus, so what have you received? So answer that for me real quick, church. What have you, re- what have you received from Jesus? Eternal life. Eternal life, okay. Salvation, yeah. Joy. Hope. I don't know who said it, but it came from a male voice somewhere around here. Hope. Healing. And I'm sure there's things going on in our brains, and some of them are those words, but individualized to you and what that looks like to you. We have to constantly remind ourselves of what it is that God 
has done for us. If we've received anything, any hope, any joy, any peace, any love. And the truth is that, and Paul knows this, and the church knows it too, they have received all those things. And so if we have, start here by remembering what God has done, right? When did Israel always go astray? When they forgot what God had done for them. Think about just the one story of them coming out of Egypt, right? They had a famine that drove them into Egypt. And then instead of, you know, originally, remember, we had Joseph and God had ordained him to be, you know, second over Egypt during this time of famine so that they could then be saved as a people. And so they had this kindness given to them from the country. And then eventually they stayed long enough for the people, they just became enslaved. And God then, after hundreds of years, delivered them out of Egypt, out of the strong hand of Pharaoh that was beating them down in this miraculous way. I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't like, oh, they just kind of found themselves out of Egypt. And it's like, oh, well, praise you, Jesus, you know. It was the miraculous. It wasn't like, you know, one day I don't really have a ton of money. And through some hard work, some good luck, God intervening. Like, I kind of found my way out of it. But it wasn't this kind of miraculous thing. But if I look back, I can say, like, things were one way. And now they're this way because of, and we know, we had the locusts. We had the flies. We had the, river, the water that turned to blood. We had um, darkness. Um, we had uh, like six other things, right? What frogs? We had frogs, yeah. That'd be the scariest one to me. Uh, it had frogs just jumping around everywhere, and uh, we, then we had the firstborn, like the very last one, with the lamb and the doorpost, and it's kind of miraculous thing. And then the miracles didn't stop there because what happened next? They get to the Red Sea. The Red Sea splits apart. They see us, so they get to the other side. They get to the Moses goes up on the mountain. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. And what happened? They forgot. They told Aaron, make us a God to worship. What in the world? Did this, did this golden calf split the Red Sea? Did this golden calf lead them out of Egypt? They forgot that quick, right? And I think Paul, and I think Jesus, and I think we understand that we can forget that quick. That quickly we can think, we did this on our own, really. It was through my hard work. It was through my brain. It was through uh, effort. I pulled myself up on my bootstraps. That's how I didn't end up like that person. Whatever it is, we forget that quickly. And Paul, as he's writing to the church, and David modeled it for us in Psalms 103, and in the church, we need to do it every week. Remember what God has done for us. Because he's done some amazing, miraculous, and good things. As a dad, sometimes I can forget what a miraculous thing it is to have children. Although if I think back hard enough, I remember some very dark days that Natalie and I shared as uh, parents. So hoping to be parents and wanting to be parents and experiencing some loss. And it wasn't, you know, all that wasn't funny. You guys know that. There's no reason to delve into that. But I can forget really quickly when my kids do something. I'm like, oh, why do we have kids? I, mean, I love my kids. It's a blessing. But I can forget very quickly. God can put his hand on my life and lead me to a new place. And I can forget very quickly the blessing of that. We can forget very quickly as a church what a blessing it is 
small or large, that we have family that we can lean on. And we can, because we can get lost in all the things we don't have, right? And that how it happens? Israel got lost in all the things they didn't have. We can get lost in all the things that as a church or as individuals we don't have that someone else has without stopping to acknowledge. And Paul encouragement to the church is, did you receive anything from Jesus? And so, if you have, then in verse 2, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And he continues, so I'm going to continue. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Obedient to death, he made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul said, if you've received any of this as you remember this, now you do it. Jesus came as a servant. That's who God is. God was a servant. Paul even talked about it here at the end of that scripture. Jesus, who was in nature God, took on human flesh, became a servant of us. So who was God? God was a servant. Who are we? Well, we're children of God, who was a servant, but we're also served by God. So what should we do? Paul said, if you've received anything, be like-minded. Share the same love. Share the same hope. Share the same joy. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, love others above yourselves. Paul is instructing the church. First, live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Did you receive anything from the gospel? If you did, then do that for other people. Let that be your act of worship. Let that be the act that shows the world that you are God's, that we are different, that part of this worship of God is actually acknowledging, God, this is what you've done for me, and so now I'm going to go and do that for others. And so what is it that God has done for you? And I don't want to ask you to repeat it. Think about what you were thinking about in your head. Some of it was kind of uh, theoretical, like, like hope. That's a good one. So how do I give hope to somebody? Some of it was healing. How, how do I do that? I mean, is it just prayer and put it in God's hands? That may be it. But God also asks us to, to do stuff, right? And so Paul's saying, whatever it is you received, now go and do that. If it was joy... How do you give joy to this? Like, and what I'm here to tell you, church, is that that is a way that we ascribe worth to God. Because we're saying, God, you are so worth it. You have done this in my life. And now I want to do the same for other people because of what I've received from you.
Verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your faith with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He starts that out by saying, you have always obeyed. Had that church always obeyed? No. Mosaic, have we always obeyed? No. Like Paul knows who he's talking to. He, he started this. He helped plant this church. He helped lead these people to Christ. He knows the things that... That's why Paul's writing instruction to them. Because he knows they're not perfect. But yet, he speaks over them the way that God sees them. Because how does God see us? Obedient. Perfect. Always joyful. Always hopeful. Why? Because of this little thing called redemption. That God has now put himself... God's, Jesus has put himself over us, right? So when God looks at us, he sees the work of Jesus, which is that of hope, which is that of healing, which is that of uh, obedience, of, which is that of perfection. Paul actually is speaking to this church in this really affirming way, saying, you, you've always obeyed. They haven't. We haven't. We don't. But Paul is speaking to them not who they are in the flesh, but who they are in Christ. What a beautiful thing it would be, and it is, church, when we can see other people the way that God sees them. Because the way that we don't serve other people, right? So the way that we don't, the way that we're not generous with our money, the way that we're not generous with our time, the way that we're not generous with whatever it is that God has been generous to us with is when we see someone as less than what God sees them as. But when we can see other people as God sees them, then we can very easily let go of whatever it is that we're holding on tightly to. So when we can see somebody as being honest, even when we know they lied to us. Because when they lie to us, we're like, I'm not going to give them anything. They lied to me. But we can see them as always being honest. Because that's how God sees them. It allows us to open up a little bit. And now, there's this business sense in our brain that says, oh, we can't do that, though. We've got to be prudent with what God's given us to give it to the right people. Can you imagine if God did that? He said, well... Roy actually kind of does what I ask him to do. Fryer never does, uh, or very rarely. And so I'm not really going to give grace to Fryer anymore because he's tapped out on that, but I'm going to give it to Roy because Roy you know, deserves it. Some of y'all may agree with that statement. But uh, can you imagine if God dealt with us in that way? If God saw us as the liars and as the disobeyers, as the murderers, as the adulterers, as the blasphemers that we really are and dealt with us in that manner and said, well, I'm not going to be generous to them because of, and he can lay it out. And you can probably lay out the list for him in your brain. But he doesn't. And we don't get that privilege either. We can only see people as God sees them if we're being honest. So Paul's saying, church, if you've received anything from God, then do that to other people. Can it be frustrating? I'd imagine so. 
Do I frustrate God? I'd imagine so. But it's this amazing kind of gift that God has given us, and we can't do anything but to share it. And so if we're going to be true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth, the truth is that that person is also a child of God, just like I am a child of God. Just like Jesus' blood and actions covered all the wrong they did, just like he covered all the wrong I did. So I can't withhold anything that God has given me. We're just going to kind of wrap this thing up with a pretty known scripture in Matthew 23. It's this warning that Jesus has against hypocrisy. So then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger or move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. I don't even know what that means. And I hope I pronounced it right. And their tassels and their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats of the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. So do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor do you nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be servants. For those who insult themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus has this warning for us. Basically, he just said the same thing. You're not any better than anybody else. You are a child of God. And everyone else is too. So that's not to say that we are lowly. We're not. We're children of the king, and it's because of who we are. And it's because of who God is and how he acts with us that instructs who we are and how we should act with other people. And so it's not to say we're lowly, all just like the Eeyore mentality, I'll just low, lowly me. It's not. Like, we're high. <laughs> we're children of the king. We have a place at the table. We have the feast set before us. And so does other people. And if they don't, we have a job to do. If they don't yet know that, we can't hold them to a standard that they don't yet know, right? No. But we can live our lives in a manner that's worthy of the gospel so that the Holy Spirit can move and act in their lives to make them want to, to know the King. And then they are right where we're at, at the table with the feast. We have this mandate. It's not specifically spoken in scripture but it kind of is 
to serve. Well, it is given to serve other people. We don't all often tie that in with worship, I guess is what I'm saying. Because scripture does tell us we have to serve people. But what I'm telling you is that is an act of worship to God. Because it is us acknowledging that God, God, this is what you have done for me. And you've been so good to me. And I can't do anything but do that for other people. God, you've blessed me with, name it, right? God's blessed us as a church financially. How can we withhold that at all, right? We can't. If we're going to be faithful to Scripture, God's blessed us with all kinds of things. And we can't withhold that from anybody. If we're going to be faithful to God. So if you've received anything from Jesus, and I know that you have, And let that be the way that you express God and his kingdom to the world. So this morning, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a couple more songs. We'll have communion. All the things that we normally do. But during the prayer this morning, I want you to... um, We have a number of people... Uh, Terry's not here this morning because if you, if you don't know, I can say it this morning because he'd normally be mad if he was here. Uh, but he has pretty, would have it earlier. He has a surgery coming up on the 4th, uh, and he would have it earlier if they would let him, but he can't because they gave him a shot hoping that would help the pain, and it didn't. But because he had that, he now has to wait. three had to wait three months. So his uh, surgery is scheduled for November 4th. So Terry... Is one um, that I know of that uh, we need to be praying for. Um, Will and Norma just had a great grandson that was born. He was born about two months premature, but it's a blessing because not only was he born, but he's doing well. Right? He's moving his way up the, in the NICU kind of uh, ladder there, and I think he's if he's not out, he's almost out. Um, but that is a blessing. But we continue to pray for for him. Um, I know there are other things that just are not coming to my brain right this second. Uh, Roy is one that we have been praying for and will continue as uh, the long road to recovery continues. Or uh, Some of it is just kind of living in a different way. And Naaman that we have been praying for and will continue to pray. We actually have prayed for this morning. But this morning as we pray, I want to give space for us so if you know of somebody or you know of a situation in your life that I don't know about, let's bring it before a Father that is good to us, that loves us, that does all these things for us. And so um, this morning, that's what we're going to do during the prayer time. And, and once we wrap it up, we'll, we'll have we'll share in some communion and we'll sing uh, some songs together. But we are here as a family, and so let's do that work of a family by carrying each other's burdens. So, God, uh, this morning we come to you with this acknowledgement that we haven't always shared everything that you've given us with other people. But we know that's what you've called us to. So, God, would you help us? Help us to see how we can share love with others or joy, or hope, or healing, or mercy, 
or any of the countless things that you've given us, God, would you bring creativity to our minds and show us ways that we can give those same things that you've given us to others. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org. 